So there we go. Welcome to episode one of Purpose. If you have a booklet in your hand, wave it at me. Okay, all of you good guys. Can I just say the only reason we're charging for it this year is last year we gave them away free and we found them under chairs in the back of cupboards and left everywhere. So we're hoping that uh, you'll hang on to it this time. It's so important. You can turn with me to page two and you'll have a look. There's a space for sermon notes. And uh, on page three, you'll see finding your purpose number one, the topic of your life group meeting, your purpose group meeting uh, this week. I heard lots of Tuesdays and Wednesdays. I know there's a couple of Fridays as well. So there you go. In this book, every Sunday morning we, for the next six weeks, we'll be doing an installment of purpose. Then every week you'll be doing a life group uh, around this. The Sunday meetings will give us the big picture purpose for our lives. The um, the midweek meetings will be helping you ask the questions around what has God called me to. And then there is a daily devotional. So from tomorrow, in the last part of this book, there's a daily devotional to help uh, coach us through understanding how to talk to the Lord in a way that He points us in our specific uh, path. And I'll talk some more about that in a little while. So for those of you who had a great education and are just in, uh, generally good-looking and clever, Alice arrives in Wonderland. She's having a dream, and dreams are a little bit weird. She sees all these crazy things. She arrives in Wonderland. She's not sure. She's lost. She's not sure where she goes. She says to the Cheshire Cat, she says, Would you please tell me which way I ought to go from here? It's a question that most of us ask ourselves. The cat replies to her and says, that depends a good deal on where you want to get to. Alice replies, well, I don't much care where I get to. The Cheshire cat says to her, well, then it doesn't matter which way you go. I wonder how many of us are wandering around in our lives just wanting a place to get to, but not quite sure where that place is. Not even wondering if we have an, a clue or an ability, yet deep inside of us there is this irresistible, unquenchable longing for some kind of purpose in life. Do you agree with me? We see over time, have you noticed there is, we have, it's so troubling, we have more awareness of our emotional and, and non-physical being, right? We have more and more and more of our emotional health, of our, of our um, psychological health, and yet it seems as though people across the world are less emotionally healthy and more emotionally troubled. Agree? Hey, we are more connected and yet we feel more lonely than ever before in, our, in, our, in, in, in all of human history. Right? And so if ever we're asking ourselves, is there a purpose to life? Is there a reason for me being here? It's this one. And Alice says, well, I don't care where I'm going. Just tell me which way. And so the cat says, well, then does it really matter where you are aiming at? The verse that inspires the whole of our purpose series is this one from Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10. And it says, for we are God's handiwork. Created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. If you guys can just keep that up there for a moment. I felt over our fast time, Paul writes to Timothy and he says to him, I remind you of the prophecies that were given to you when the body of elders laid their hands on you. 
All right? You guys good. You're doing a great job. You guys are really helping out. If you don't have a book, anyone need a book? There we go. At the back, I feel like I'm, I've got an auction going. But well done, gents. I really appreciate it. Good job for just having a, a heart for your neighbors. I love it. If there any anyone else needing a book, the guys are buzzing around. Just grab one. At the end of the meeting, you guys can pay 30 rand for the book because it was with delivery. Okay? 20 bucks for the book, 10 bucks for delivery, Cameron. And so Paul writes to Timothy and he says, I remind you to fan into flame the gift that, was, that, is in with it, that is within you through the laying on of hands. And he speaks about holding on to the prophetic words. And he says, with these words, you'll be able to fight the good fight. And I felt to remind us this morning that many of us, I think, are laboring under the wrong name. And I felt like God wanted to impress on us a change of name for some. You heard Hagar's story, how the, the Lord turned uh, her, her um, what do you turn, her, her fortunes around. I felt some of us, uh, Annette spoke so well, and as did the others, so, so well on, on the way we see ourselves, right? And sometimes we labor under a name that has been put on us that is not from the Lord. It might be from circumstance. It might even be the name you speak to yourself with. Now, I want to tell you this morning that God is a God that gives a new name. Yeah? He gave us Christians. We're first called Christians in Antioch. Because like Teb said yesterday, we are little Christ. That we are so like Jesus that they called Christians Christians. We turned the world upside down, right? And so even our name, we, 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 you might be Zulu, I might be English, but can I tell you we both together form part of a new culture, a kingdom culture. We have a new culture, we have a new family. The Bible says that from the Father, every person on earth, every family on earth derives its name. So no matter what you look like, where you come from, we have a different culture, we have a different family, we have a different, we have the, different to the rest, but together we have the same father, we have the same surname, and we are called by the same name. So I want to remind you this morning that maybe God needs to do some work in us as we look through this purpose series, that you take the name. Remember, um, God says, oh, I'm going so over time. God says to Sarai, yes, that name isn't big enough for you. You will be called Sarah. Yes, from mother to mother of nations. He says to Abram, he says, that name, it's too small for what I've called you to. You can't, it doesn't fit into that name. I have to change it to Abraham, the exalted father of many, not just father, right? He says to Peter, he says, you're called Simon. I forget what Simon means, but he says, but I will call you Peter, which means small rock, puts small stone, puts him into perspective. And he says, on even this small stone, I'm going to turn the small stone into a rock. And on this rock, the revelation of Jesus Christ, I'll build my church. You understand how often God comes across? You look in the Bible, I forget the number, it's regular. Where God finds a person and he says the, 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 the moniker, the, the, the definition, the, 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 the way people see you, the, the wrapping that people have put upon you or you've put upon yourself is too small. You need to take that off so that I can put something of destiny, of purpose onto your life. You with me? Now, friends, I would love you to ask God every morning as you meet and you do your devotion, maybe even this afternoon as you listen to um, 
Yanin and say, Lord, help me with my identity. It's the same thing. Father, will you speak to me the name that you've called it? Can I say this? doesn't matter what, whether you're Fred, Joe, or Philip. The name that he will give you is son and daughter. I'm praying that over this purpose series, our purpose comes from that. This thing that God puts on us is too big for the limitations that we have on our, that has been put on us. So three things from this great verse. We are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works with God prepared in advance for us to do. Number one, that God himself has done the initial work. Aren't you so glad it's not up to us? I've said this before, but we, you know, we go looking for God, even if you're looking in the east or you're looking in, uh, anyway, all the wrong places. We go looking for God. But the beautiful thing is that God finds us. And it's God himself that does the initial work. It says we are God's handiwork created in Christ. We are not just products of the big bang that crawled out of the primordial soup. If you know what that means, then good for you. We're not just per chance enough building blocks of the universe happened to fit together and all of a sudden the tadpoles became giraffes. You know how it works. There is a purpose. God himself has acted and he has prepared us. And so you may be, you may be here attending this series, not sure even whether you believe in God. You may not even know if God is real, but you do know that there's a real question in your heart that you haven't been able to answer yet, this question of purpose. Now, I'm so glad that you're here that we can talk about these things. You see, everybody has a worldview. And the worldview is the, is the thing that shapes our lives. To talk about some big ones, we speak about an Eastern worldview, which would include things like Buddhism and uh, Hinduism. And they have a worldview that speaks of reincarnation. You live and you die, and you live and you die, and you live and you die. And the, the purpose of life for someone with an Eastern worldview is to get out of this relentless cycle of suffering. Doesn't that sound amazing to you? I suffer, then I die, then I live again, and I die, and I suffer, and I die. So, so my purpose in life is to remove the suffering and cease to exist. Doesn't that sound like a great item on your to-do list? They interviewed a Buddhist priest, and he said, the question about purpose, he answers, there is no purpose in your life. The Buddhist approach is you're born, you die, you're born, you die like dominoes. You knock one, and they keep falling that way. The goal of the individual life, says Buddhism and Hinduism, is actually to get out of the line of dominoes so that finally when you die, you do not return to this futile world of suffering. That sound hopeful. Then in contrast, we have the Western or the secular. It's interesting that in the West, the Western worldview is synonymous with the secular worldview. Because more and more, like I said with Europe, more and more the Western worldview is becoming a post-God worldview. And the secular worldview is this. It asks the question, what's the purpose of life for individuals? The answer is, your purpose is whatever you want it to be. Doesn't that sound amazing? It's the ultimate you do you. You want to be happy? Do what makes you happy. And you know what? We've had probably a generation now, 20, 30 years of people being told, if you just find what makes you happy and go and do it, Freud said the same thing. 
For those of you who, knew he, who, know, who, who know who he is, he said, just give in to your base desires and then you won't feel guilty anymore and you'll feel great. You guys are looking at me a little bit. You just overwhelm the id. Okay, let me move on. Just because you, you guys are looking at me doubtfully. And so here's the deal. The Western secular worldview says, just do whatever you want. I'm so grateful. <laughs> secular worldview is what your, your purpose can be, whatever you want it to be. I'm so glad there's a biblical worldview. And this verse that we read is a great description of it. Instead of just the futility of trying to eradicate yourself from suffering or making yourself your own God and worshiping at the altar of your own reflection, there is another one. There is a biblical worldview. And the starting point of this one is that there is God, a loving, powerful, creative God who made us on purpose with a purpose. God made us on purpose and gives us a purpose. He gives us a new name and then asks us to work it out. So let me ask you, have you concluded that your desire for purpose is an illusion? You've decided life just sucks from beginning to end. It's horrible. It would be better if I wasn't here. Ever thought that? Very close to the Eastern worldview. Maybe you've given all of your energy and an effort into finding what makes you happy. As long as it makes you happy, it doesn't make anyone else happy. The world tells us, you do you, right? Amazing. When we worship ourselves, we find how flawed and how unfulfilling that God is. So maybe you've gone with the Western thinking. Maybe you've gone uh, with the Eastern thinking. Maybe with the Western thinking. Or maybe you're open to the possibility that there is one who has created you to be exactly who you are and calls you to be who you are and knows what he's destined you to do. Just maybe. The second point this morning is that God not only um, himself does the initial work, but secondly, God works in us. Don't you love this? It's not us that have got to do the work. We're not... We don't have a, a rope dangled down from heaven like a helicopter over a, uh, over a flood. And you've got to grab onto the bottom of the rope and hopefully pull yourself up to heaven if you stand a chance of survival. No, God has worked and then he works in us. He says we are God's handiwork created in Christ. Yeah, God works in us. In our culture, we make such a fuss these days about people who have done well for themselves. Oh, that's a self-made man. Yes, or a woman. Oh, you know, I started here, but I've ended here. Look at me. And people admire and think, oh, and ah. Oh. And very often we associate those people with um, good characteristics as well. Well, they must be good people. On social media, we end up arguing about whether they're terrible or good, or we express our opinions. <laughs> but this Bible passage that we've read says there's something better, not just to be a self-made person, but to be made as a God-made person. You see, God does two creations. He creates us at our moment of birth. Psalm 139 says, He knit me together in my mother's womb. He, he created me. He says, He writes every day of my life before one of them came into being. God intended for me to be here and you. You're welcome. 
He creates us at the moment of birth and then he recreates us at the moment of new birth. When we become born again, when we finally give over our lives and say, Jesus, be my Lord and my Savior. Save me from my sins. And it's these two creations, the natural and the supernatural, that are his way of bringing about his special handiwork. We are the work of his hands. This handiwork word can also be translated as workmanship or masterpiece. In English, we have the word poem. The Greek word for handiwork is poema. Sound familiar? And so you could say that we are God's poetry. He's created us with rhyme and reason, every word in its place, every dot and punctuation mark, every capital letter on purpose. We are His to create a beautiful expression that then He can He writes us as poetry and then through us writes His His message to the world. We are special because we are the result of God's craftsmanship. God put something of himself into our creation so that we reflect his genius and his creativity. Number three, we are God, we, number three, God has acted, he works in us, and then thirdly, he wants to work through us. The two Corinthians, uh, Ephesians 2.10 says, we are created in Christ to do good works which he has prepared in advance for us. Just think about God writing poems. <laughs> think about God writing poems. If you read some fancy poetry, it's quite weird, isn't it? The, lie, the words don't all fit one after another. You duck it. It's a grammar teacher's nightmare when you write poetry. That's why in school when my, my English teacher complained, I, I should have known this is how it's poetry. It's not prose. right? So the fact that I comma spliced and got the, the thing in the wrong place, it was because I'm writing poetry. No. Poems are written on purpose, carefully created, every letter in its place. Can I say that you are God's poem, his poetry, created perfectly. That button nose, perfectly placed. That curly hair or straight hair or to this or not enough that that you and I wrestle with. Perfectly created. Too short, too tall, too wide, too narrow. Whatever it is, perfectly created. As a poem that God speaks to us so that through us, he can speak to people around us. God has acted. God works in us. He wants to work through us. When we speak about purpose, we've got to be careful that there are some black holes or potholes to avoid. <laughs> so if you remember, when, when is it? When do we all build those, how many, ever many planet systems in school? Is it grade five or grade seven? Or when do we build, when do the parents build their children's solar? Grade six. Fortunately, there's a teacher in the front row. But you remember what I'm talking about. And we never know, does Pluto still fit there? Or do, now it's only, hey, it's cheaper because you don't have to blah, blah, Pluto anymore. A, plan, a, a, a planet like the Earth revolves around a star, right? Our sun. And uh, let me make sure I've got all the information correct here. Finding God-given purpose can be likened to a stray planet 
finding a, a magnificent star to orbit around. Most of our lives are like planets that kind of bounce around the universe, if that were possible. We float from one gravitational pull into another gravitational pull. Every time we get interested and excited about something, we're pulled in that direction. We feel like it gives us purpose because we're gaining purpose from that thing. But actually, we're just floating around until we find something big enough to draw us into its gravitational pull, like the earth and the sun, and it gives meaning and order to our lives because then the, the earth floats around the sun perfectly poised. You know how it goes, right? We've got some black holes. It says we, we orbit around a star that gives light and heat as well as stable reference which we orbit. In my experience, human nature is not nearly as truly autonomous as we like to think. We tend to gravitate to things that make us feel that, that, that we feel make a promise to us. The problem is, if we don't find a worthy star, like our sun, to orbit around, we find an imploded star. A star that burns too bright implodes and becomes a black hole, which sucks energy. And why it's called a black, a black hole? Because it even absorbs, it sucks in the light around it. And I'm wondering if you and I haven't found ourselves bouncing around the universe and then being drawn towards irresistibly this deep gravitational pull, this black hole that sucks in everything around it, even the very light waves. And there are three black holes that I want to tell us about this morning that we can get pulled into when we start to ask ourselves, what is the best way to live? And the first black hole is me, myself, and I. Three of us in one hole. Me, myself, and I, when we, we in answer to the question, we follow the Western secular uh, view and we say, what's the best way to live? The answer is live for yourself, for your fame, for your success and your unhindered autonomy. This is amazing. We're happy for people. Like, let me do what I want to do as long as it doesn't hurt anyone else. So, so we sucked into this black hole. You've got the right to do what you want. Absolutely. But is it good for you? Maybe not so much. We get sucked into this hole. We, we drive our car, both wheels, into the pothole, and we find ourselves wrecked on the side of life. And Paul the Apostle says, in contrast to this, in 2 Corinthians 5, he says, Christ's love compels us because we are convinced, the scripture please, we are convinced that he died for all, that those who live for them, that those should live no longer for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. We no longer live for ourselves. Friends, you can try. In fact, you might have tried already. When we live for ourselves, that I am the goal, we find it's meaningless and empty. Rick Warren wrote a book, you may remember it, called The Purpose Driven Life. It was bestseller all around. A book about the purpose that leads to giving meaning to our lives. And the first line in that book went like this. It's not about you. You could almost have closed the book and if you got that part, you got the most part, right? Do you know that the word selfie is relatively new in the English language? Do you know that? It only, it only, it only arrived in the early 2000s. <laughs> Not even 20 years old yet. But do you know that by 2013, uh, Oxford, Oxford Dictionary chose it to be the word of the year? Ten or less years later, this word that was made became the word of the year. 
They tell me uh, Elsa Goddard estimates that young adults will take 25,700 selfies in their lifetime. For those of us that are no longer young adults, yeah, you take selfies too. I know, I've seen you. I've seen you. 20 years ago, it wasn't even a thing. I think it took to around 2008 before phones even came with selfie cameras. It was so ridiculous to think that you put a camera on the front of your phone. What would you want to do that for? Understand how culture has shifted and we unwittingly get sucked along into this black hole that absorbs all the energy. We wonder why our lives are purposeless. Um, Caesar, uh, Caesar Augustus, you know who he was? He was the, the emperor, the, 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 the ruler of the Roman Empire. And it is said that uh, the average 20-something will take and post more pictures of themselves in one month <laughs> than of all the sculptures and paintings done of Caesar Augustus in his entire lifetime of ruling Rome. Pottle number one. Black hole number one, me, myself, and I. Thomas Merton said this, if you can give us that slide, yet our lives are not meant to be self-centered, self-created canvas for our self-celebration and self-expression. Living out a God-given purpose, I propose, is a life where one, reve- where one revels in one's actual smallness, get this, and finds a bigness by orbiting not around oneself's own whims, wishes, vanity, and vainglory, but around a worthy cause and mission. We try to make ourselves big to have purpose and meaning, but actually the answer that John the Baptist said is, I must become less and Jesus must become more. When we realize the largeness of the sun around which we orbit, we have purpose. When we think everything else orbits around me, we realize how empty it is very quickly. Pothole number two, black hole number two, material things. Material things, right? We live in a consumeristic age bent on the accumulation of money and possessions. Have you noticed in our city how, how, how many of these self-storage facilities are springing up? It's like you want a good investment, build a self-storage, right? Why? Because we don't have enough space for our stuff. And if I just get some more stuff, Man, I'll feel better about myself. We've come to believe that if we have enough money and enough things, then we are enough. You might be saying, Craig, that's not true about me. Just wait till you're in a conversation with some other guys if you're a guy, some other ladies with your, if you're a lady. Oh, so what do you drive? Where are you going on holiday? Which school do your kids go to? Oh, you shame, your kid's been sick. Which doctor are they going to? I was fascinated when we came from KZN to Gauteng. When, when mothers started comparing at, at birthday parties whether your kid's therapist is better than my kid's therapist. Oh, you know, my kid's therapist is the best one in Gauteng. Oh, good for you. Hope he does the job. But we find ways to create stuff in our lives which then we hope give us. You're not a better person because you go to a better doctor. Can I just say that? You live in a good neighborhood doesn't make you any nicer. We are not the accumulation of what we have. You know, J.D. Rockefeller was the richest man in modern history. They asked his accountant, when he died, how much money did he leave behind? 
Camden said, all of it. Jesus says in Luke chapter 12, watch out. Now when Jesus says watch out, I would suggest, be on your guard against all kinds of coveting. There's other words I can use. Word lust. Drawing of our hearts. A coveting that does not, uh, all kinds of coveting. Life does not consist in the abundance of, of possessions. Dave Ramsey says we buy things that we don't need with money we don't have to impress people we don't even like. Black hole number three is the approval of others. It's important for you and I that we actually have good people in our lives that will tell us well done or not so well done. Buck up, boyki. Have you got someone in your life like that? I hope so. Yeah? Come on, you actually... You need to try harder here. But many of us live for the affirmation of people we don't even know. You know, these days you put a post on social and you watch it. And if it doesn't get enough hits, enough likes, in a short period of time you take that post down because it's embarrassing. We compare our numbers of followers with each other because if I've got lots of followers, I must be great. And we live a Facebook life. A friend of mine preached once on a Facebook face. A Facebook faith. We live a Facebook life. We post what we know people will find attractive. I never post when I'm grumpy. Have you ever read on social? And I'm not on social, so you'll have to tell me. Have you ever read on social? I'm just in a bad mood. Look at my car. It's dirty. No, we post when we have a new car and it's shiny, right? Because that makes me a good person. Just going to change. Thanks, guys. The amount of people that are impressed with me make me impressive. Alan de Bottom, in his book, uh, Status Anxiety, says the approval of others matters to us because we are afflicted by an uncertainty as to our own value. As a result, we tend to allow others' appraisals to play a determining role in how we see ourselves. Our sense of identity is held captive, as Janine said, is held captive by judgments of those we live among and we might not even know. Yeah. Instead of learning to become the person we were born to be, we become the person that fetches the most likes. We wonder why we have no purpose in life. I want to ask you three questions and we'll be done. Paul says in Galatians chapter 1 verse 10, he says, Am I now trying to win approval of human beings or of God? Or am I trying to please people? If I was still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of God. Remember that when you're posting on social next time. I'm not bagging social. That's, you, you can run your life the way you want to. But every time we're scrolling social, just remember, am I doing it for people's approval or for the Lord's approval? When I post, what's behind my post? Is to look good or to tell my friends what's going on? Three questions and then we'll be done. The first one is this, is what is God's purpose for all of his children? So for the next five weeks, we'll be talking about these things. 
The average person has no clue what their purpose in life is. And it bothers us. It makes us feel frustrated. We try all sorts of things. I've just heard that, I forget which country, one of the overseas countries is, is uh, just legalized magic mushrooms for medicinal purposes. Yeah, great. Go on a drug trip. That's going to help you in life. You'll find yourself. When you're so high, you don't even know what's going on. You understand this incessant need for meaning in this world? Now, friends, I want to say there is a general purpose that the Lord has. So picture this. You're on a five-lane freeway. You're going in the right, you're going, you want to go to a destination, you get on the right, free, right freeway, it's got five lanes. You can be in any of those lanes, but you'll get to the destination, right? There is a general purpose that God has for believers, for his children. Generally speaking, we'll talk about these. There is a, a, something that all of us can play a part in. The purposes of God, the general purposes, no matter which lane you're in, this is where we should be going. We'll look at those over the next few weeks. And so if you're saying, Craig, what's my purpose? Then I just want to ask you for starters, well, does it fit in with the general purposes of God? And so you need to be here at each of the next five preachers if you want to know what those are about. They don't, you need to hear each one of them. In the life groups, you'll talk some more and on your own, you'll pray and ask the Lord to show you. The second thing is, what is God's purpose for me personally? What is God's purpose for me personally? Because I don't just want to be one of a million, right? I don't know, just, just like me and like a thousand sheep all looking the same. Doesn't God have a personal interest in me? I want to say to you, absolutely, He does. We've spoken about that already. Each of us is a unique, unrepeatable work of God's art. And so therefore, each of us have a unique, unrepeatable Good works that he wants us to do. King David, from the Bible, in Acts chapter 13, verse 6, it says, When David had served God's purpose in his own generation, he fell asleep. He died. <laughs> I love that. He'd done everything God asked him to do, so he went to be with Jesus. It's like there was nothing left. He'd done it all. You know how thrilling it is to know that in this last week, at least a couple of days, I traded in the purpose of God for my life. Not frustrated. Because he fulfilled me. I don't know what the English for that is. Bored. I'm, I'm not like self-consumed. I'm consumed by the Lord. There is a personal, specific role that God wants you to play. And as much as we get onto the highway, which the Bible tells us about, the Bible gives us insight into the general purpose of God. The Holy Spirit gives us insight into the specific purposes of God for our lives. The personal call. And in our six uh, small group meetings, that's where we'll be speaking about these answers to specific um, questions. And then finally, number three, is how do I fulfill God's purpose? How do I fulfill? How do I actually do what God has created me to do? Jesus says this in John 17, verse 4, speaking to the Father, I've brought glory to, I've brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. The 36 devotional studies that you'll get every morning for the next six weeks will help you trade, uh, go through the scriptures and then spend time with the Lord saying, Lord, how do one, I fit into the general direction. 
to my specific. You might be the slow car. You go in the slow lane. That's the specific for you. You might be the truck. You park in the loading zone. You might be the Ferrari. You park in the, you go in the fast lane, right? God's general specific and then personal will. Lord, how do I fulfill? How do I complete what you've called me to do? Friends, you might be here wrestling with these things, maybe not even sure that God loves you or knows you. I'm trusting this morning that you would begin to understand that God has created you uniquely. He knows you and he wants to call you to him. I'm trusting this morning or over the next number of weeks you'd meet him as your Lord and Savior. For those of us that know him, I'm trusting that we will have a life filled with purpose that fit in together with a general but me for a specific, that I would do what God's purposed me to do, and I would complete the work. Father, we pray in Jesus' name, not that we'd learn a lot only, but that we would hear from you. We pray, Jesus, that you, we would hear your assignments, we would hear the poetry you've written over our lives, that we could follow you, Jesus, in a meaningful way, in Jesus' name.